Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. This episode is with Keith Sherman, who is a publicist who's been in the Broadway and entertainment industry at large for over 30 years now, and he's got a small team of four that uh, that make up his firm, and like so many others in his field of work, his livelihood has been ripped out from under him due to the global pandemic. We had an interesting chat kind of about how all of this has has affected his work, has affected Broadway, has affected his livelihood, and uh, he's just incredibly optimistic through all of this. And we both hypothesized about how Broadway is going to reopen, and yes, we both completely feel it will. And we talk about how being a press agent has changed over his 30 years in business, especially as social media crept into the game and become a major player, a major part of the world. Even though he's just lived through a COVID-19 diagnosis himself, and had to furlough all of his staff, he's amazingly positive still and taking this opportunity to learn more about himself, try some new things he's never previously had the opportunity to try. And we actually just had a really great casual conversation. He told me more about what a press agent does and why he got into it. And it's still one of those careers that I think more people need to know about because I've said it before, I'll say it again. Someone once told me, if I knew being a publicist for theater and Broadway was a thing, I wouldn't do what I'm doing now. So I'm trying to bring this story to you because it's actually really nice to know that this kind of thing is out there and it exists. So before we get into it, as always, please visit me online at thetheaterpodcast.com. You can visit me on the Broadway Podcast Network at bpn.fm slash ttp. Find me on social media, theater underscore podcast. Find me on Facebook at slash official theater podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review, show your support at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And now, everybody, please enjoy this episode with Keith Sherman. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. My guest today operates Keith Sherman and Associates, a Times Square public relations firm founded in 1989. And recently, he tested positive for COVID-19, which I actually think is a great place to start this conversation, considering that we are chatting remotely over the internet in the midst of this pandemic. Keith Sherman, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hello, Alan. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So you're, you're okay, right? Like, you're feeling all right? I, I am truly blessed. I've come out of it. My husband is the medical director for two nursing homes, and a patient in one of his facilities had it. The Department of Health came in the next day and tested the staff. Six people were positive, including mm. including my other half, and um, we share everything, so he brought it home to me. Um, this, but fortunately, we had very mild cases. We didn't have trouble breathing. The, the fever, the cough, the, the night sweats, the chills, that lasted for several days. And then 
the, the fever lasted for almost a week or more, and then it slowly just went away. And I'm hopeful that I have the antibodies. I can't wait till I can get that test and, and maybe donate some, some of my plasma if, if that could be of help to others. I'm, I'm glad that you're feeling better um, and you're able to like focus again on, on life and living and your career, but your career, strangely, is on pause more or less i mean is that safe to say because you're you're oh. you run a pr firm for the entertainment industry that in which right now nothing is happening very much so everything is on hold uh we sent out a, a press release last week for the brett and paul foundation which announced grants to writers whose theatrical productions were canceled of of a lot of money but you know there's nothing really right now to promote I'm talking with some of my clients about planning for the future, but the future at the moment for all of us is so uncertain. So, you know, a lot of ideas are going back and forth, but there's not a lot of concrete action that's being taken right now. Well, what, what are you doing? I mean, what are you doing? Cause as someone whose livelihood relies on the ebb and flow of, of Broadway specifically and like entertainment in general and whatnot, you know, with everything shut down, I've I've talked to people that rain that on both ends of the spectrum range from just you know working hard, buckling down, producing content, getting online, doing Instagram Live and YouTube Live, and, and you know Christina Alabato launched her YouTube channel, something she's wanted to do and never had time for until now. And then I talked to other people who who literally are like, I, I'm depressed. I can't I can't get out of bed. I feel hopeless. Uh, I mean. There's so much going on right now, and as someone whose career sort of relies on this, like, how are you feeling? Well, first of all, I feel great. I'm an optimist. I am never bored in life. I have so many interests, and I bounce between all of them. Um, I don't know where on that spectrum I feel I, I fall, but um, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'm using this. I've never had this kind of free time in my entire professional life before. <laughs> um, and, you know, on one hand, it's horrific what our society is going. I can't control that. But for me personally, um, I'm sleeping longer than I've ever slept before. I'm cooking. Uh, I made a pecan pie, a raspberry shortcake, and some brownies. Um, my husband, as I said, is, runs two nursing homes. He is on the front lines, and he has it really, really hard right now. So I'm trying to take care of him. I'm talking morning, noon, and night with colleagues and clients and friends, and we're supporting each other, and we're, we're talking about the moment, and we're talking about the what-ifs and, and planning. Um, I'm organizing my house. I'm throwing away crap from years ago. Uh, I'm reading. Um, you know, I, I have a second business. I run an art gallery. I'm spending time trying to move that along. From my perspective, there is so much to do. Um, but none of it has to do with my professional life. Um, PR, I'm certainly not making any money right now. Uh, I've been in business for 30 years. Um, I've had, God, I've been lucky. I, we're a staff of four. One, one person's been with me for 19 years, another for 18 and another for 11. And I'm really proud of that. Um, I've had to furlough them. I don't have any income. And, you know, I don't know when we're coming back. But um, 
you know, we're, we're talking once or twice a week as, as, as a staff, as, as an office. And, you know, it's, it veers from the personal to the professional and back again. And I think what this pandemic is showing us as a society is really how connected we are with each other and the whole concept of social distancing. You know, the theater is about uh, a lot of people in a, in a small room, elbow to elbow, experiencing a moment. At this, at this time in our society, in our lives, that's forbidden. We, we, we cannot do that. So the very essence of what the theater represents is kind of against the law right now. Mm-hmm. Isn't that odd? It's, yeah, it's for the greater good and completely understandable because if, yeah, if we do get together, then there's this risk of spreading this horrible disease uh, or virus. Um, but here's the optimism, yeah, I, Alan. Here's some centuries to ancient Greek and, and ancient Roman times. I mean, the, 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 the beginning of organized religion. Uh, people gathering in a room listening to someone smarter than they are. Um, that's the, the, the beginning and the essence of theater. Uh, I did a little bit of research. I found out that there was something called the bubonic plague in the early <laughs> 1600s. Of course. And in London, Black Death. exactly. Shakespeare's Globe Theater, which was presenting King Lear, I believe I'm referring to the original production, because of this... Um, I don't know if it was a pandemic, an epidemic, but because of this plague, the theater had to close and performances of King Lear were canceled. Uh, you know, you fast forward several hundred years and we're not in a dissimilar position in our world. I think the theater will survive. I think it will come back, but I think it will come back in a different form. You know, for example, from a business perspective, the theater works on a very tight margin save for the, the, the very few, very, very successful commercial Broadway productions and tours. But when we come back, we have to embrace social distancing in the house, where we have to seat people six feet apart. You know, so if, if producers and theater owners need to cut by a third or a half, what does that do to the bottom line? Mm-hmm. You know, which, we're, which is a razor-thin margin to begin with. What does that mean for theaters? You know, with the stock market, you know, in, in, the, in the toilet right now, are funders going to support not-for-profit arts organizations? I mean, these are all valid questions, but in truth, there's no answers to any of that at the moment. Just know that to come back, we don't know when and we don't know how. And I think it's important for us to accept life in the gray. It's not black and white at the moment. It's not going to be black and white for a while. It's gray. And I think if, if we can accept that, we'll be a lot less stressed out. Oh, I totally agree that people in general, you know, need to, need to uh, not stress about what they can't control and worry about what they can. And, and in terms of worrying about what you can, what you can control right now is following the guidance and, and in some cases, the law of social distancing. And, mm-hmm. you know, here in New York, Governor Cuomo is 
saying you should always go out with a mask on. That's recommended. Social distancing, six feet apart. Like, you know, I still walk down. I take a walk outside every now and then with my mask on and I try to walk around people. And there's still some people who walk right up next to me at a stop at a crosswalk. And I'm like, and I move away (laughs) because I'm like, why? what are you doing so close to me? You know, so do what you can. But the rest of the time, you know, like you said, I, I, I am, I am an optimist uh, while while focusing on preventing the negative, if that makes sense. Like, I'm re- realistically perfect, like, though. I'm going, yeah, so That's I'm going to make realism. sure that this and this. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, so really I am good. going. You know, it's okay yeah. to have your head in the clouds as long as your feet are on the ground. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, continue. I got my USB rig with my microphone here. I'm doing interviews remotely sitting in my guest room at my house here in Brooklyn. So, yeah, like, I'm I'm with you, but... Um, I, I, I have no idea how, I mean, I know it will, I know Broadway will come back. I was going to say, I have no idea how theater will come back in, in, um, but what I mean is I know it will, but I don't know the method by which it will. And so, like you were saying, it hadn't occurred to me that you would cut a house by a third and seat and seat people six feet apart. Um, what I was thinking was that, you know, if say tomorrow, the restrictions are lifted. Everything's fine. We've got a vaccine. Everything's cool. I think it's going to be okay. Well, not tomorrow. So let's say what? What did? What's the current? As we're recording this, the current guideline is that everything's shut down until June seventh, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, say June seventh comes, everything's fine. Everything can reopen. I think realistically, it's going to be September before shows start going up again because um, you're going to have to get the cast back in shape bottom line anyway because you've got a sh- you got shows like Moulin Rouge and things where you know dancing choreography like the the, the stamina the cast requires to maintain eight shows a week they're they've, they're losing that just by not doing the show even if well, they are is working there a world Alan when we come back incrementally I mean maybe you know and again we'd have to do this in concert with the entire theater community maybe Absolutely. there's only five or six performances a week as opposed to eight because particularly for Broadway the bulk of the audience is from out of town. Absolutely. So are people coming to New York right now? Are people traveling no. anywhere in, in, in the next period? Even when we're over the, the, the peak of this curve, I mean, the virus is still going to exist in smaller numbers. And people are afraid, justifiably yeah. so. That was the rest, that was more of my thought that I was thinking like, October, October, September, October timeframe, because people, shows have to open and you don't want to open everything at once Mm -hmm. because that's just going to dilute the pool and you want to sell tickets. So I think this is going to be a consorted effort. Like maybe the Broadway league has to step in and say, all right, so the first thing to open is Hamilton. That would, that we know will sell, or maybe, I mean, maybe not actually, now that I've said it, maybe they take a show that's (laughs) less expensive to open, right? What if off Broadway um, starts first? What if theaters with a hundred seats or one ninety nine? What if yeah. those are the, the first ones to open up? What about restaurants? Do restaurateurs need to take oh. out half their tables? That's what that's what somebody else said to me. Is and that the, before Broadway can open, to profit, their profit margin? Yeah, yeah. So someone said to me the other day, I forgot about this. That before Broadway can reopen, restaurants need to reopen because people need to need a place to go in and eat before and afterwards. Well, it's you know, if you can only do takeout, that's a that's an enlightened perspective. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, that's reality, and that's where the left hand has to talk to the right hand in terms of our 
in terms of our government on different, you know, local, state and federal levels, you know, working with different industries to reopen them. Right. Because, right, right, yeah. because we are all so interconnected. I know. And, and I mean, fortunately in New York here, the subway is still running fortunately and unfortunately in that, you know, this, there was something the other day saying that subway poles are responsible for spreading most of the, the virus in New York. But, um, Oh, I didn't see that. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, cause that's where everybody puts their hands, right? Right. right. So, so it makes sense. Um, but you can't shut down the subway because our essential workers need to get to their jobs to keep the rest of every, I mean, you know, I applaud the essential workers and, you know, seven o'clock every night here in New York, everyone goes out and on their stoops and their windows and their balconies or wherever. And they, you know, the big hooping and hollering and clapping. It's, it's an incredible thing to still hear. I read every that Brian Stokes night. Mitchell is singing the impossible dream from his window every night at seven. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I would love to be a fly on the wall in whatever room they are chatting about the strategy behind how to reopen Broadway because it's kind of a chicken and egg. Like you're saying the smaller houses off Broadway or whatnot, but what's going to get more tourists back is going to be the Broadway shows. So I don't know how I would do that. This is a challenge. I have a distinct memory right after September 11, when Broadway was closed for two performances approximately, Mm -hmm. there was an event that took place in, in Times Square and Duffy Square um, where, you know, anyone who was in a Broadway show and a lot of celebrated New Yorkers got together and said, New York is open. Come back to New, come to New York, come see your Broadway show. And, you know, there was this astonishing groundswell of energy and enthusiasm to let the world know that New York was open and in business and come celebrate. And I'm sure that something similar to that will happen again at the right time. You know, right. When will that be? I don't know. I mean, when will our government governments allow us to promote tourism and coming back? It's a question mark. I hope it's soon. We all want it to right. be soon. We all want to resume our lives. Right. Well, the, yeah, those of us, those of us in the entertainment business and in the theater business, yeah, this is our livelihood. And and I've talked. I mean, you you run your own press agency and I've talked with other press agents and marketing agents and I don't know anybody right now who's not furloughed. Right. And because there's just nothing, there's nothing going on. There's no there. So, right. Right. So, I mean, that kind of gets me into, into another, I guess, another question of mine, but um, I mean, you've had, yeah. So deadline.com ran a great article that you wrote the other day um, talking about, you know, your history in, in the theater and multiple decades running PR firm. And, and you've, it's, you've had a great success, um, 300 plus shows more recently. You did be more chill and we will rock you and Mike, Mike Berbiglia's show. Um, and you, you actually had the Tony awards for 18 years too. And all for, it was you and a staff of four additional, right? So five of you. Yeah. Well, me plus three over the years, it's been a little bit more, you know, up and down, but yeah, we I run a tight ship. Everyone right. carries their weight. Right. So at at what point? I mean, I guess you in the article says that you dipped in your you've dipped in your savings to keep things going, or like is there is there anything that that is still going? Like what's happening right now in your world? 
in, in the PR world? Well, you know, very little from, from an entertainment perspective. There are no shows on their feet right now, so there's nothing to... I mean, certain are still up and running and thriving. Uh, books are still coming out. Television is, is you know, and, and, and digital content is, you know, expanding and zooming along, but live performance is non-existent right now. And that goes, that's true of concerts. That's true of events. I mean, anything, any kind of trade show that was going to be at the Javits Center, I mean, there's a hospital there now. There are no trade shows. I mean, in our, in our own lives, I mean, weddings and, and bar mitzvahs and graduations, funerals, um, they're on hold. Uh, it's, we're living in an unprecedented time. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. the rules are, there are no rules. There's, there's no basis of comparison in our contemporary culture. So we're just, you know, we need to get comfortable living in the gray, as I said earlier, because there's just so much uncertainty. So now it's right. time to think about your own future and, and to plan and to connect with lives maybe that you haven't spoken to in a while. And ideas and talk about what ifs and scheme and plan and dream about the future and when things will reopen and and what you can your role would be and how you can if you're an actor hopefully you're taking online classes and you're singing and dancing in your living room and and you're maintaining your your instruments and and trying to be good and and do better and you know there's still that collaboration. It may not be face-to-face. It might be screen-to-screen, but it's vital that that continues. Mm-hmm. That's not well, my world. I'm to. not a performer, but you know, I'm trying to spread some joy here. Right. Yeah, I uh, I get that. And I guess that's what I've been trying to do to keep myself busy as well is, is say, all right, so when this comes back, you know, I'm laying the groundwork, right? So when this comes back, we'll have this and this and this. And... And fortunately, you know, for, for me being a podcaster, you know, as long as I have power and internet, everything's fine. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily need lights, but, well, you tell but power and internet. Alan, you, you, you extract people who are, you know, you know, in the theater and working in different aspects. I mean, right now you're talking with me, uh, a, a publicist, a press agent, but with people in the entire spectrum of, of the theater. I mean, look at the staff. Oh, and you're talking with all those different categories and that's a wonderful thing. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I, that's what I love. I love, I love the behind the scenes. I love the, the stories about how people maintain success. Like that's, that's, what's really important. So, you know, I, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that. Well, the theater, um, you know, look, I mean, I've, I've run for, for three decades and I was working mm-hmm for that it's a tough business things aren't aren't handed generally to, to anyone you have to work your butt off for everything and there are sacrifices and you know you you need to work hard in our business you need to show up that's what the mm-hmm. theater is, is about it's that live being present you know showing up backstage showing up at meetings 
you know, talking with your producer and your manager and just even sometimes when specific issues, just checking in with them, making sure things are okay, planning for the future. And right now we're going to be planning for a future that we're not sure exactly what it holds for our community. Well, okay, so let me, I want to get back to that, but I want to take a step backwards um, to talk about what what it is that that you actually do. Because someone told me once, they said, if I knew being a publicist for theater was a career, I wouldn't have done what I'm doing. <laughs> like, they didn't know that was a possibility. It was either like, on stage or nothing. And I said, well, that's kind of, you know, it's short-sighted. There, there's people that run the show, there's run the house, the, you know, everything. But um, my my specific, I guess we'll start with the beginning of what made you get into publicity? What is it that you did, meaning before social media? And then how has how have things changed in the last decade? Oh, my God, there's a lot of questions in there. Um, I can start by saying that when I was eight years old, this nice Jewish boy from New Jersey who lived next to a Christian family for Christmas for one year was given three LPs. If anyone remembers what that format was, one by Gary Lewis and the Playboys and two by uh, a new group called the Supremes. And I fell in love with the Supremes. By the time I was 12, on Thursday afternoon, I was at my library mail to come in because Variety had a column that traced nightclubs around the country. And I could follow where the Supremes were playing. So once I read that page, I flipped the page and I started reading Variety when I was 12 years old, waiting every Thursday with bated breath for the mail to come in and Variety to come in. In college, one of my roommates uh, grew up in New Rochelle, north of the city, and his English fellow that founded the Roundabout when it was under a supermarket on 26th Street between 8th and 9th. Um, and I was basically an intern when I came home from school, you know, getting coffee, running errands, doing whatever needed to be doing, needed to be done. And one day the producer came up to me and said, what are you going to do when you graduate, Keith? I said, I guess I'll get a job. He said, how'd you like to be our marketing director? I said, sure. So that was my first job. I was the director of audience development for the roundabout on 26th street. And we also had another theater it's now the SVA Movie Theater on 23rd between 8th and 9th. And we did some amazing, amazing work in those two spaces. And I lasted there for a year, and then I found a job with the Broadway press agent. Uh, my first show was called The Crucifer of Blood with Glenn Close and Paxton Whitehead. It was a Sherlock Holmes thriller at the original Helen Hayes Theater um, that to make way for the Marriott Marquis Hotel. And then I just bounced around to different press offices. And it was I, I found my calling really early on because I learned I had zero talent as an actor. For most people that you know, you talk about behind the scenes, but you know, as as children, when we're all inspired, you know, we're watching film and, and television and we see the actors. That's all we ever see. Mm-hmm. Some of us, you know, watch the credits. And we learn about the other jobs and roles that exist on any kind of a legitimate theater production or a film or a television show. Um, And that's where most of us end up because there simply aren't enough acting jobs. But that's also why acting is is as competitive as it is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I just found my calling and I loved it from day one. Um, and I, I worked for many years for different press offices. And then at some point I decided I could build a better mousetrap. And so I formed my company in 1989 and I've, I've had a 30-year run so far. And I love my work and I'm going to keep at it. And I know we're going to come back better and stronger. Well, okay. So you've got, you've got the same mentality that a lot of successful people did. Is it like, well, now I know, now I know the basics and I can see how to improve on it. So I'm going to go off on my own and do this better. And you, and you have, and you did. Um, so then 20 years go by basically like the rise of social media, Facebook comes up in the last, you know, in the last 10 plus years. And it's easy enough. It was easy enough, I assume, to to say, all right. So, a Good Morning America, a, a live with Kelly and Regis, or Kelly and like Regis, Regis and Kelly at the time, but now it's it's Kelly and, <laughs> Kelly and Ryan. Ryan, Kelly and Ryan, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so those are numbers. Those are national TV. Those are the big ones, right? That that are good. But how do you how do you make a distinction between what's important now when? Everybody has a social media channel. Everybody's got a YouTube channel. Everybody's got a podcast. How do you decide what to put in front of your clients? That's a great question. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons as long as I have, because the media landscape is forever shifting. And it, what was true yesterday is no longer true tomorrow. So it's important to stay on top of trends, What's what's working, what's not working, what's important, what isn't, what's impactful, what has a greater audience. And uh, I'm very fond of telling a story that in the uh, 20s and the 30s, New York City had three dozen newspapers. At the 1939 World's Fair, something called television was uh, introduced to the public. And a decade later, there were three networks. The number of newspapers was cut in half. And as time has progressed, New York City right now is the only city in America that has four daily papers, if you count the Wall Street Journal, which I certainly do. Um, Many cities in America don't even have a newspaper. So social media came in. Social media has given control to brands. If you consider show as a brand, an actor can be considered to be their own brand. So social media has given has taken away the middlemen and has allowed individual brands to talk directly to their constituents uh, without having to buy, say, an ad on television or in in a newspaper or on the radio. And that's been a substantial shift, and we're, we're learning how to harness that power right now. And it, how many likes on Facebook is... Um, or follows on Instagram is an appearance on the Stephen Colbert show worth. Uh, I think what's important today is a mix of all of that. You need some traditional advertising. You need traditional PR, which is what I, I, I've been doing. You need social media. And uh, you also need uh, a, an arrange promotions and, and um, you know, m- marketing um, deals with, various shows. So any show today, they have an ad agency, they have a press agent, they have an agency, and they have, you know, marketing promotions. You can add on something else like corporate sponsorship, a corporate sponsorship executive. 
There's so many ways to reach the public right now. Uh, and the, the numbers of marketing opportunities, there's an, an unbelievable quantity of ways that a show can spend money to reach different publics. And Absolutely. All and of these professionals, you know, when we're working on a show, for example, we sit in a room and we talk about individually what we're doing and, and how that, you know, how uh, if, if I get a booking on Good Morning America, uh, does the show put an ad on that day for that show? And, you know, there's coordination with that. If they get a, a special deal on another show, maybe we make an extra effort to get some visibility on, on that program or that radio show or in that magazine that month. So that's where strategy comes in and understanding the bigger picture, not just the theater industry, but the, the whole entertainment industry and how and, and the social promotion social media and, is, is a second part of it, but it's a part of it. And yeah. And it, and it's, it's like social Instagram takeovers and Facebook live broadcasts and, and oh gosh, like the, the legal oh. challenges of, you know, what do you, what are you allowed to show from backstage? And you're technically like equity says you can't film backstage after a 30 minute call. Right. But, People are still going live on their Instagram, their personal Instagram feeds or whatever it is like this stuff as a, as an entertainment lawyer, I think I would just be pulling my hair out, but that's a separate conversation. Well, the rule, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of rules in place and a lot of the rules get broken on a regular basis. I am forever scratching my head on the parameters that the various unions set out because we want to comply with the rules, but you know, sometimes in a turn their phone on, start filming or start taking pictures and they post it, you know, mm -hmm. from jail. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, find them or I don't but know. I mean, it, I'm, I'm, um, social media is kind of like, you know, there aren't, there are rules in place. There aren't a lot, but it, things keep shifting and things keep moving along, particularly now um, because there is no, in person and live, and so much has gone on to the internet and Zoom meetings and, and digital downloads and, you know, streaming. I mean, it's a new world. It keeps getting reinvented. And so you, you and your firm do mostly, or is it all representative of, of brands as a whole, like, like a show or an, an event or something like, do you do any personal publicity? Oh, sure. My view is if there's a story to be told that I think is, is relevant, that I could be successful with it. And the person has, uh, on their shoulders. I'm interested, you know, which is why, you know, for three decades, I have been with, um, uh, Olympic, uh, skaters and gymnasts, you know, I mean, that's a far cry from the theater, but entertainment, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, the skaters go out in costumes, there are lights on, there's music and they are dancing. They are skating. They are performing. They are athletes first and foremost, but there's a significant entertainment component to that. So we've handled dozens and dozens of national arena tours and television specials and, and books, for a lot of skaters and gymnasts and mm -hmm. you know, 
it's, I've got a lot of interests, as I said. Um, I formed an art gallery a couple years ago as a second business. So lately I've been uh, taking on some fine art clients, some galleries and some art schools and some museums. Um, you know, it's a big world. And that's kind of why I'm never bored, because there's always something to do. You know, more ideas and new way of looking at something trying to expand my vision, not wanting to take things for granted. Right. Well, it's, it's putting a lot of irons in the fire so that you can continue to work a little bit, you know, grow and expand. And I, I'm always, I, I respect that because I'm always in of the mindset, probably uh, not on purpose most of the time, but I get to where I am. Like I'll accomplish goal one, two or three. And then I said, okay, now I'm here. What's next? And I don't stop. And, you know, much, much to the people around me, their chagrin of like, well, when are you going to sleep? Um, I don't like, I don't like to stop working. So I completely understand that mindset of just expanding and growing and learning and doing more because they're, they're, life's too short in general to, to stop. But um, if you put all your eggs in one basket, I guess, you know, you, you might find yourself in a situation like this where there's nothing going on. Alan, you just used my, my favorite word four-letter word, and it's my response to both success and failure. The word is next. So if, if I'm involved with the project and it just flops on its face and, you know, it's a terrible thing, I, I give myself a hug and I say, what's next? And conversely, a big success, you know, I pat myself on the back, I this is wonderful, can't believe it too much, but what's next? Hal Prince was, was well known for setting up a meeting with his creative team for the next show after all of his shows opened. So the morning after, there was a production meeting about the next show, the reviews, success or failure, next. That's mm. gotten me through quite a bit. Yeah, well, we are going to get through this. Don't know when it will all be over, but of course, everyone's going to get through it. But um, looking back at your career, and we'll we'll wrap this up in a second, but looking back at your career, I'm very curious as it, whether or not there's like a standout moment in your mind of of like, holy crap, I am here on the red carpet of the Tonys or the red carpet of the Academy Awards, or I'm here at the Olympics or something where you just looked around and you stopped and you said, I can't believe I got here. That, that's a beautiful thought. Um, I would say that moment for me right now is today. Um, I'm a guy that lives in the present. Um, moments that you've just verbalized. I've, I've been on a lot of red carpets and I pinch myself and I try never to take it for granted. But I fight really hard to stay in the moment and to be present and, and deal with life as it exists right now. And right now we're in, we're in you know, a really insane time. I mean, one of the reasons you know, I, I wrote that piece for Deadline that I'm talking with you is I'm, I have an optimistic spirit. And I share that with, with a lot of people. A lot of people can be afraid of my energy and my enthusiasm. But um, I, I, I'm really happy to share that with people right now. Because I'm hopeful that it can help make a difference with, with some. 
Yeah. Well, I, I respect that a lot, actually. Um, so I think it's I think it's very admirable. So if you listen to the podcast, of course, you know that I end every interview with three standard closing questions. The first one is, what motivates you? What motivates me? I don't know. Why do I love chocolate cake? Um, <laughs> it's, it's in my heart. It's in my DNA. It's something that I can't put into words. It's the thrill of theater for me. From the very first show that I saw, which was 1776, from the very last row of the balcony, and when that curtain came down at the end and the lights, uh, there was the Declaration of Independence, and the 14-year-old boy who was in that last row just felt this jolt of electricity go through his entire body, and I sat down, kind of huff, sweating, and I said, what the hell was that? And how do I feel it again? And that just has propelled me for decades. I mean, it formed my basis for the love of the theater. So what motivates me is, is the thrill of that and the, and the joy of, 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 of discovering theater. Um, I recently saw that production of Medea at BAM. I was taken kicking and screaming to it, saying I don't need to see another production of Medea. I've probably seen it a dozen times with some really great actors. And I sat there absolutely transfixed, transformed, and went my love of the theater just went through the roof once again because it was an astonishing thing to behold at that moment, that production. Excellence on stage. That propels me. That motivates me. I love that. that. So the second question is, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? The advice that I would give to my younger self is um, check your ego at the door a little bit more uh, and, and, you know, listen more and talk less. What was the second part? (laughs) <laughs> and what advice would you give to people starting out down a similar path? I think, you know, a commitment and, and uh, a strong work ethic. And you have to love what you're doing. Love it. Stop it and find something that you do love. Because I don't consider what I'm doing work. I mean, I wake up in the morning just ready to go in and ready to figure things out and talk to my staff and talk to my clients and, and come up with ideas. You know, I, I sit through morning blogs and websites and newspapers and magazines and I talk to people and I get inspired, you know, you, you, that's how we should all live in life. And I feel blessed that, uh, I'm in a position to live that way, but I, to a degree also, I've created that for myself. You know, I didn't right. settle for something that was less than that. Right. Okay, so final question, hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? <laughs> I would want to have that moment in 1776 again, over and over. 
<laughs> I don't okay. know that that's realistic, but I guess that's the answer. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so where can we find you on social media? Oh, I'm on everything. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you know, Keith Sherman. Keith Sherman and Associates. All right. All right. You can get me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. Find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Keith Sherman, thank you so much for this wonderful interview. And I am so glad that you are happy and healthy. Thank you, Alan. What a pleasure it's been to talk to you today. Make the world a little colorful. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.